There are moments in history that you wish you'd been there for. Let me tell you one of, one of those for me. July the 6th, 1957, at a garden fete at a church in Liverpool, which doesn't sound like a very extraordinary moment, but actually one I would find fascinating. And maybe you know why. That was the first time that John Lennon met Paul McCartney as teenagers. And that was the beginning of the Beatles. It would have been a fascinating thing to have been there and to see them as teenagers meet for the first time, to wonder if they had any idea how significant that meeting would be. See, we love origin stories. When we care about something, we love knowing where it began. We love knowing how it got started. And in the reading we've just had, we're going to have very early moments in Jesus' public ministry to see just that. This is where Jesus began calling people. This is where it all begins. And so it's a really important moment for all of us to think about. Jesus is the most influential person who has ever lived. We measure history around his life. And we have to explain how he got there. After all, he came from Nowheresville. Even in our passage, Nathaniel says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? And Jesus had no money to spend, no armies to fight for him. Only three years in the public eye, and at the end of it, the grand climax, a public execution. That's all Jesus had to work with. And yet with just that, he's transformed our world like no one else. Today, billions of people respond to his call every day. And it all began in our passage with a handful of people Jesus called then. Especially if you're here this morning or tuning in and you're looking into the Christian faith for yourself, this is a massively important moment to investigate. What kind of person must Jesus be to be able to change the world like he has? Our series this term is called Teachable Moments. And we're looking at moments in which Jesus took the opportunity to show his disciples what following him involves. There's lots that we're going to see this term and through devoted. But in a way, all of it starts here with what we're thinking about this week, with calling. Because unless we hear Jesus call and we start following him, there will be no teachable moments for us to learn. And so our passage this morning has the spotlight on him. It's not so much about us and our individual callings in life, but about him, the one we're called to, Jesus. And our reading basically took us through two days in which five people come to follow Jesus. Day one, you have these two disciples of John the Baptist, Andrew and another unnamed disciple. Now, we don't know for sure, but it's very likely that the unnamed disciple is the John writing this gospel. And that's why the details get so suddenly specific. Find out that it was four in the afternoon in verse 39. And then towards the end of the day, Andrew brings his brother, Simon, Simon Peter. Then day two, Jesus calls Philip, and then Philip brings Nathaniel, and all five of them start following him. Now, this morning, I have two big things for us to take away from the passage about calling. But before we get to those, we need to see what all of these people saw in Jesus, 
We need to recognize for ourselves what it is they saw in him and what drew them to follow him. We need to see how Jesus is so compelling. And in fact, there are lots of angles for us in this passage showing us what Jesus is really like. So in verse 36, John the Baptist begins by saying that Jesus is the Lamb of God. As he put just before our reading, he says, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the true Passover lamb sacrificed for us. John the Baptist was baptizing people as a picture of turning back to God. But what he was doing was only a picture. Jesus is the real thing. He's the one who actually does deal with our sin because he's the one who dies so we can be forgiven and restored to fellowship with God. Jesus can put an end to guilt and shame in our lives. He's so compelling because he's the one who can deal with the mess we make of life. And so when they hear that, these two disciples follow where John the Baptist is pointing and they start following Jesus too. And then you have this moment in verse 38 where Jesus turns around and asks them, what do you want? I don't know about you, but when I ask people, what do you want? It normally comes from a place of irritation because I really want them to go away. So I'm saying, well, what do you want? What do I have to do to get rid of you? But it's not like that with Jesus. He's really asking, just like he's really asking us, what do you want? And that's because Jesus cuts to the heart. He speaks directly to our desires. Human beings are like no other creature on earth. We are full of longing. We're always looking for more. We have this sense that there's more out there and if only we knew what it is. We're the creature that asks questions about meaning and we wonder whether we have any. We're asking, searching, longing and that's what Jesus is speaking to. He's so compelling. He asks the ultimate questions of life. But he's not asking us the way we ask. We ask these questions because we don't know the answers. We long for what we don't have. But Jesus asks because he's the only one who can tell us the answer. He asks because he knows what we were made for. He's the one who can give us the meaning we're searching. Why? Because of who he is. Because of who he is. And so you see that Jesus actually claims the right to name and rename people in our passage. That's what he's doing with Simon Peter. He can name and rename him like that because Jesus doesn't just know who Simon is, he also knows all that Simon will be and he's calling him to follow. Jesus is doing just what God did when he called Abraham, Abraham, Sarai, Sarah, Jacob, Israel, giving them a new name to reflect the new purpose he's calling each one of us into. That's what he's doing with Nathaniel as well. We have no idea what Nathaniel was doing under the fig tree, but we know that Nathaniel was shocked because of what Jesus knew about him. Uh, Jesus says, uh, verse 47, here truly is an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. Verse 48, how do you know me? Nathaniel asks. It is not a casual thing to be known like this by Jesus. It's an awesome thing that he knows us as we truly are, knows us inside out, and all the secrets of our hearts are laid open before him. 
And that's how he knows you and me this morning. And again, that's because of who he is. When he says this to Nathaniel, Nathaniel cries out in response, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. And for Nathaniel, those two terms probably meant more or less the same thing. They were both ways to talk about the Messiah. But in Jesus, more is going on than Nathaniel could have guessed at the time. And so Jesus says this to him, verse 50. You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It's a very odd thing for Jesus to say. But Jesus is talking about Genesis 28. And in fact, he's quoting from that part of the Bible. In that moment, Jacob, who's been following where God calls, has a vision at a place called Bethel. And he sees a stairway reaching up to heaven with angels ascending and descending on it. And when Jacob wakes, he says, how awesome is this place? Surely this is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. In that moment, Jacob glimpses what all our human longings are really for, for heaven to be opened up to us once again, for us to be restored, for things to be restored to the way they were meant to be. That's what Jacob's vision is all about. And Jesus is saying, follow me, and that's what you'll see, because I am the one in whom heaven is open. Jesus is the God we were made by, the God we were made for, come in person to draw us back to him. John begins his gospel with this flurry of encounters with Jesus, showing us what he's like and showing us from different angles. He's the one who can deal with the mess we make of life. He's the one who asks the ultimate questions and addresses our longings because he knows us through and through and tells us the answer. And he's come to open heaven up to us. And John starts like this because he doesn't want us to go any further without seeing who Jesus is for ourselves. He doesn't want us to go any further without recognizing that Jesus is so compelling. This is the one we are called to follow. And before anything else, Christian calling is about recognizing Jesus for who he is and then ordering our lives around him as we follow him. It's only when we see him, like the people in our passage see him, that we'll start following him like they did. So let me ask you this morning, do you see Jesus like that? Can you see this glory in him? Does he amaze you the way he amazed them? And you also notice how different people are drawn in in different ways. Because Jesus is so compelling. He's compelling from so many different angles. And there's this beautiful variety in how people come to him and what they find attractive about him. And so you have a couple of people who are just pointed to him by John the Baptist, Andrew and the other disciple. You have someone who has Christian family leading them to Jesus, Peter with his brother Andrew. You have someone convinced by how Jesus fulfills scripture in history. That's what's going on with Philip in verse 45. And then you have Nathaniel, who has this powerful experience of Jesus speaking to his life that he can't ignore, that he can't fully explain. There's this beautiful variety in how we all come to Jesus because Jesus is so compelling. And I'm sure there's that beautiful variety among us this morning too. 
If I asked you all your story, I'm sure each one would have something different to say of how you found Jesus amazing and started wanting to follow him. He is so compelling. There's never been anyone like him. So I have two things for us to take away from this passage about calling. Here's the first one. Jesus is calling us to be with him. This is the first and best thing he calls us to. He's calling us to be with him. Verse 37, he turns, uh, verse 38, sorry, and asks, what do you want? And if you think about it, there are so many bad answers that the disciples could have given at that point. They could have treated Jesus like a genie who came out of a lamp. They could have asked him for power or possessions or knowledge. And to be honest, a lot of people treat Jesus like that. We come to him because we really want something else. We start praying to him because we want better health, better stuff, a better life. We're not really in it for him, we're in it for the stuff he can give us. But actually, what these disciples say in response to that question is so much wiser. End of verse 38, they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? See, they're not saying, Jesus, we want your stuff. And they're not saying, Jesus, we want you to make our plans come true. They're saying, Jesus, we want you. And we want to be with you. Where are you staying? Can we come and be with you? And that is absolutely the best thing to ask from Jesus today. It's not surprising at all that they want to be with Jesus. He's so compelling. What is surprising, really surprising, is that he wants to be with them. There's the thing, he knows us through and through. He can see right to the core of who we are. He stuns Nathaniel with his knowledge. How uncomfortable might it be to have Jesus stand in front of you today and know everything about you. But here's the surprise. He wants to be with you. He's calling you to be with him. They say, where are you staying? And verse 39, come, he replied, and you will see. That's the surprise, that Jesus wants to be with us, that he's calling us to be with him. And you notice he doesn't turn them away. They get to stay with him. And he never turns us away either. Come to spend time with him and he won't keep you at arm's length. He'll invite you in. He's calling us to be with him. And what that means is that when it comes to Jesus, being with him is even more important than doing things for him. Easy to forget that. Easy to think the Christian life is about all of the things that he's calling us to do. And there are things he calls us to do but you notice the first and best thing Jesus is calling us to do is to be with him. It's to be with him. Perhaps at the start of this series, that's something you need to prioritize or reprioritize. Perhaps this week, you can take the opportunity to make sure that all the things you're doing for Jesus are rooted in being with Jesus. There are all sorts of ways to enjoy being with him. Loved hearing from the testimonies how some of us are doing that. Let me offer one just from this passage itself. It's about how we read the Bible. See, there's something going on in Philip's experience of Jesus that shows that he's reading the Bible in a different way because he's met Jesus. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Jesus is calling us to be with him. Why not let that shape your Bible reading? 
Preachers like me are always telling people to read their Bibles more. But today I'm talking about quality rather than quantity. This week, why not read your Bible like this, with a longing to meet Jesus there? Read it hungry to see how every part of it finds its center and climax in him. Because when you read the Bible like that, in the power of the Spirit, you will meet him. You will draw near to him. And he will blow you away with his glory. That's our first takeaway. Jesus is calling us to be with him. Second takeaway about calling, Jesus is calling others through us. Jesus is calling others through us. If you're feeling pedantic this morning, and I usually am, you will have noticed from our reading that only one person is directly called by Jesus. Philip, verse 43, Jesus says, come follow me. But for the others, it's, it's much less direct. John the Baptist's testimony, witness, is how Andrew and the other disciple meet with Jesus. Andrew's invitation is how Peter meets with Jesus. Philip's invitation is how Nathaniel meets with Jesus. And Jesus wants it that way. That's how Jesus has set things up. That's how he's calling people in the world, even through us. This is how much Jesus loves you. When you come to follow him, he doesn't say, ah, oh, what a mess, but I guess I'll tolerate you. Sit over there while I get stuff done. He actually says, I love you. Come be part of what I'm doing. Come be part of what I'm doing. Jesus is calling others through us. And we're not on probation, and he's not holding us at arm's length when it comes to what he's doing in the world. He makes us part of it. Now, I know that whenever I hear someone say that, I'm instantly intimidated. And I don't really know any Christians who find sharing their faith really easy all the time or think that they do it very well. I think most of us find it quite intimidating. And of course we do, because we want to do it well. We want to show people how wonderful Jesus is. We feel the pressure to get it right. But I love this passage because it shows us how simple sharing Jesus can be how simple it can be. There are two ingredients, and you can spot them in our passage. We have found, come and see. It can be as simple as that. We have found that this is what Jesus is like. Come and see for yourself. That's what Philip says to Nathaniel. He says, we found the one Moses wrote about. And Nathaniel goes, give me a break. And Philip says, come and see. See for yourself. And you see, because Jesus is so compelling... It really can be as simple as that. He's not a dodgy used car, so he doesn't need any dodgy sales techniques. In fact, it doesn't depend on our ability or expertise at all. He's so wonderful that all we have to do is say, we have found, come and see. The only qualifications we need to share Jesus are what we've already received from Jesus ourselves. And each one of us who know him have all we need to get going. We only need those two ingredients. We have found, come and see. We have found all our needs met in Jesus. Come and see what he's like for yourself. We have found full forgiveness, a fresh start. Come and see what it's like to live with someone who doesn't hold your past against you, but has dealt with it and put it away forever. We have found the one who gives us fulfilling purpose in life. Come and see where following him would lead you. We have found the one who brings hope. No matter what happens or what goes wrong, 
Come and see how that can change everything in your life. It can be as simple as that. And we can trust that Jesus will use it. Because Jesus is calling others through us. As a church, as individuals, we have nothing in and of ourselves to meet the deep needs of the world. But Jesus can more than meet those needs. And he's calling others through us. He is the best thing we have to offer in all that we do. And so it doesn't really depend on the arguments we're making or how well we welcome people or any of the other things we do, although we trust Jesus to use them all because the power is in him, the most compelling one there's ever been, the one who's even working through his people to call others to himself. So here's a challenge for each one of us. Who is there that God's put in your life that you could say this to? What kind of people has he put around you, family or friends or neighbours? And he's given you the opportunity to say, we have found, come and see. Perhaps you even want to take a step back and think, am I ready to do that? Maybe this week you could just take some time in prayer and say, Lord, help me to know what I could say to someone. Show me again what I've found in you and give me an opportunity. Open a door for me to say that to someone this week. So lovely to hear in those testimonies how that's happening in the lives of those who are part of our church. Try the Lord. Say it to him. Lord, give me someone to speak to about you this week. And you'll be so surprised by how he answers those prayers. Jesus is calling others through us. So calling. There's so much we could have said about that topic, and so much even in this passage. But we'll never understand Christian calling without recognizing the one we're called to, without seeing how compelling Jesus is for ourselves. And what he's calling us to is so wonderful, because first he's calling us to be with him. It's not a surprise we want to spend time with him. It is surprising and wonderful that he wants to spend time with us. He wants to be with us this week, why not find out how good it is to be with Jesus for yourself? Why not open up your Bible and read it, longing, praying, expecting to meet with him? And he's calling others through us. He makes us part of what he's doing, and we can share him as he is. No need to try to become experts or slick salesmen. Everything we need in what we found in him already, we have found. Come and see. Thank you.